0: We are in part two of a series we started last week. The lovely Christy Kerr uh, preached part one last week. We're looking at the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. So this is in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, uh, the story of Joseph. And last week, Christy did a great job. By the way, if you would like to get caught up on some of these sermons, maybe you miss a week, we have it on Facebook Live. Hello to the three people watching on Facebook Live this morning with our high-tech Facebook Live system, um, but also on our website, homesteadcommunitychurch.org. All of our sermons are on there. And Christy last week did such a nice job introducing this series, talking about the story of Joseph, giving a lot of the context and the backstory. Um, So if you're in here today and you want a little bit more understanding of what we're talking about, um, go ahead and listen to that last week's message. Joseph was one of 12 sons of Jacob. Now... These 12 sons had four different mothers, and Joseph is his dad's favorite. This is just recap from last week. Joseph is his dad's favorite. He's not the firstborn, but he is the firstborn of Rachel, who is Jacob's wife that he really loves. And so right off the bat, this is like an episode of The Bachelor. Right from the start, this is like dysfunction, all these different conflicts, all these different sibling rivalries, because, well, we're... You know, children of Rachel, who Joseph or Jacob really loves. We're children of one of the servants. And so all of these different rankings, all these ways that the brothers would have conflict. Joseph is also recognized to be a young man of morality and integrity. He is upright in his righteousness, unlike his brothers. And God sees this. And his father Jacob sees this. Joseph stands out. So his father Jacob gives Joseph a brightly colored coat to signify that he's going to be getting the majority of the inheritance. Even though he's not the oldest, this is all what's happening. So again, more conflict amongst the brothers. And then one night, God gives Joseph a dream that one day all of his brothers will bow down before him. And like a super wise younger brother, he goes and tells his older brothers about this dream. Hey, guess what, guys? God told me you're going to bow down to me someday. That goes over great with the older brothers. And he makes sure to tell them all about it while wearing his technicolor coat there for his brothers to see. All of this stuff. So here is where we left off last week. The story of Joseph starting in Genesis chapter 37. And here's where we pick up today. Genesis chapter 37. Joseph is sent to check in on his brothers. And so I'm going to read a few verses from Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 18 today. Actually, a couple of words before that, the end of verse 17. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dotham. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Verse 19 of 37 says this. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other, Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, a big pit in the ground that they would collect water in. And then we'll say a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So we're going to pause there before we keep reading. You can tell they're bitter about this dream. They're bitter about all sorts of things. But they they think, you know what? I'm tired of this dreamer. I'm tired of the little brother. I'm tired of all his attitude. You know, maybe older brothers, you felt that. You stopped short of throwing them into a pit, and that's good. Um, But I like that they said, let's see what happens to his dreams then. Okay? He's got this dream that supposedly God gave him. Let's see what happens to his dream when we throw him into the pit. And here's what you need to remember throughout all of what we're going to read about Joseph. Here's what you need to remember through all that is about to happen to him. This wasn't his dream, right? This wasn't his dream. This was a dream that God gave him. This was a God plan for his life. And I say that to say these brothers in their naivety are thinking that they're going to stop God's plan, that they have the power to stop God's plan. God's plan, what we're going to see in the life of Joseph, through every obstacle, through every storm, God's plan moves forward. So I want to encourage you right off the bat in this message today. Maybe you have a dream in your heart that God gave you. Maybe you have a calling on your life that you know God is calling you somewhere. And you're finding yourself all sorts of derailed and in a mess. You've made decisions that have derailed your plan of God, you know, God's plan on your life. You think that you've messed up, and now you're over here in the pit, and God's plan is long gone. Maybe somebody else has done something to you, left you in a storm, in a pit, and you think, well, God's plan must be over. From the youngest to the oldest here, I want to encourage you don't be like those brothers who think that God's plan is just so easily stopped by one little action. God's plan is for you and it will continue to be for you and to continue to work itself out. God is at work. We've read that verse as kind of a theme of this series. God works all things for the good for those who love him. We've been singing it all morning. He's a way maker. Even when we don't see it, even when you're in a pit, he's working. Right? So this is humorous to me that these brothers are thinking, oh, we're just going to stop this whole plan right now. God's plan continues to move forward. No matter who you are or what you've done, if you have a God dream, you think it might be dead, but those things cannot be stopped because it is a God plan. We're going to continue on verse 22. Oh, actually verse 21. When Reuben heard this, He tried to rescue him from their hands. So Reuben's the oldest of the brothers. He has a moment of clarity. He's like, we should really not kill our brother. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. And Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So Reuben's plan was don't kill him. Throw him in here. We'll let him die there. And then later he was going to come back and rescue him and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into one of the cisterns. The cistern was empty because there was no water in it. Again, it usually would be filled with water, but this was a very dry climate, and so it hadn't rained in a while, and the cistern was empty. As they sat, and they, as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. So they throw their brother in a pit, And then they just sit down and have a meal together, okay? So this is like, I wonder if it's like close enough where they could hear Joseph, hello, (laughs) you know, hey guys, it smells good, whatever you're eating, why don't you throw some down to me? They sit down and have a meal, and they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, "'What will we gain if we kill our brother "'and cover up his blood? "'Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites "'and not lay our hands on him. "'After all, he is our brother.'" Way to go, Judah. Like, hey, we should be kind to our brother, so let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery instead. "'He is our brother, our own flesh and blood,' "'and his brothers agreed. "'So when the Midianite merchants came by, "'his brothers pulled Joseph up of the cistern "'and sold him for 20 shekels of silver "'to the Ishmaelites,' who took him to Egypt. So we're going to pause there for a moment. This is the pit. It's what we're talking about today. The story of Joseph has so many highs and lows throughout, and we're going to cover those in the next few weeks. This is the pit. This is the low, one of the lows for Joseph. The brothers plot to kill him and then to profit off of him. Reuben tries to save him. It says he came back later expecting to find Joseph in the pit, in the cistern, and he was upset because his brother sold him into slavery. He was going to rescue him, but it didn't happen. This is what's happened to Joseph. He is now sold to the Ishmaelites and the Midianites who take him to Egypt. Now, I want to do a little side note here about the Ishmaelites and the Midianites. Okay, I know you were excited about that. You were hoping to come to church today and hear more about the Ishmaelites and the Midianites, I can tell. These are also a group of people that are a descendant from Abraham, okay? So we know the, peop- the children of Israel were descendants from Abraham, that God gave Abraham a promise. Christy talked about this last week. Abraham and his wife Sarah, a promise that you're going to have kids... And that through them, all the generations will be blessed. That, he, that God is going to have a covenant relationship with Abraham and his descendants, which would later become the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. So we see Abraham and Isaac, and Isaac and Jacob, and now Jacob and Joseph. So we're like four generations in. But what happened with Abraham and Sarah was that they said, okay, God's promise was for us to have a son. And we're old, and there's no way this is going to happen. And so in their own thinking... Abraham and Sarah come up with a plan, and they say, okay, well, maybe instead of waiting for God to somehow give us kids, since Sarah, you're super old, I'm sure he didn't say it like that, they agree that the good plan is for Abraham to have a child through the maidservant, through Hagar. And that child was Ishmael. And the descendants of Ishmael are the Ishmaelites. And the Midianites are closely tied. So these are all descendants of Abraham only through Ishmael the son that Abraham had with Hagar. If you read through the Old Testament, you're going to find out that for generations, the Ishmaelites, the Midianites are enemies of Israel. There's constant conflict and war and battle between these groups of people. Why am I bringing this up today? Because this sounds a lot like our story of Joseph, whose father was Jacob, who had Rachel, the wife he loved, but they did not have any kids for a long time. So in their wisdom, they said, oh, we're going to have Jacob. Jacob, you have kids with Leah, and you have kids with Leah's servant, and now you have kids with Rachel's servant. So all of these brothers, the point of this is this, throughout the Bible, you see so many examples of people growing impatient with God's promise, with God's plan. They have heard from God, and then in their own thinking, they say, this has taken a long time. This is clearly a shortcut. This is clearly what God needs me to do. In my own human thinking, I'm going to solve this problem rather than trusting in God and being patient for the promise that God has. Does that make sense? And what we see is results that come that have generations of conflict, generations of bitterness, all sorts of stuff. The point is this. When we try to solve God's plan for us, when we try to do a shortcut, when we grow impatient for what God is doing in our lives, it does not work out well. We are not smarter than God. Abraham and Sarah were not smarter than God. They didn't have the inside track and say, God, we're going to help you out here. So I want to encourage you. You might be in a spot that you're saying, I have been waiting for the promise of God and I think I need to just solve this myself. Stay faithful, stay patient. God, again, is at work. The very next chapter, chapter 38 of Genesis, is kind of a side story. It has nothing to do with Joseph. But again, it's another example of human thinking, human wisdom thinking, I know what's going to be best, and just disastrous consequences. It's a story of Judah and Tamar. We're going to skip it today. It's a messed up story. Another reality TV show happening right there. Um, It's just kind of a side story. Again, the point of that whole chapter, if you read it, you're going to be like, what, that's in the Bible? Again, it's there to show us What happens? The folly of human wisdom when we think, oh, I know what's going to be right. Let's do that. So that's what chapter 38 is about. So we pick up our story of Joseph in chapter 39. His brothers thrown him in a pit. He's sold into slavery. His brothers take his cloak. What happens before this? Sorry, I'm just getting you caught up on the story. His brothers take his cloak and cover it in animal blood and bring it home to their father. So Jacob the father says, or he hears from the other brothers, we found Joseph's technicolor coat. They didn't call it the technicolor coat yet. Um, That's later on in Exodus. No, that's not in Exodus. They find the, He said, we found this cloak. It's covered in blood. We don't know where Joseph is. So Jacob, the father assumes, my son is dead and he begins to mourn. And this goes on for a long time. Jacob continues to mourn. We're going to find out years later, Jacob still has not gotten over the fact that he lost his precious son. And his brothers just keep allowing this to happen, keep allowing their father to think that their son is dead, that his son is dead. Another indicator of just their moral bankruptcy. And so the last verse of 37, sorry, I jumped ahead. The last verse of 37 says this, in verse 36 of chapter 37. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So Joseph has gone from the pit, Sold into slavery, the Ishmaelites take him to Egypt and sell him to Potiphar, who is the captain of the guard, to Pharaoh. So important people. This is where Joseph finds himself as a servant or a slave. This is the first of the Israelites in Egypt. We know where the story's going. We know Moses and the plagues and Pharaoh and let my people go. We know that story. If you've ever wondered, well, how did the Israelites end up in Egypt in the first place? This is how. Joseph, seemingly in random circumstance, gets sold to Potiphar, who's a servant of Pharaoh. This is the start of the Israelites in Egypt. This is the start of this. The whole story comes after that, but this is the start. It's a remarkable indication of the providence of God. We're going to see it. We're going to see how God has ordered circumstances, how this isn't just random, but God puts Joseph in that very house, in that very position, because he wanted to accomplish something. An amazing example of God's providence, conducting things in all wisdom, moving seemingly random circumstances to accomplish what he wants. This is what our God does. Even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he is working. Things that you feel like are just random things, you will look back and say, man, that was God. That wasn't rejection. That wasn't a storm. That wasn't tragedy. That was just God redirecting me. That was God just ordering my steps. That was God just sending my path down here because he had something amazing to accomplish down here. God is at work in every season, in every circumstance. Now, this all sounds good, right? Except when we're the ones in the pit, (laughs) right? When we're in the pit, we're like, no, this is not God working. When our life has fallen apart, we say, this is not God working. When we've been betrayed by someone, when we've been hurt by someone, this is not God working, this is just a disaster. When we're in the pit, it's easy to think that God has abandoned us, and has forgotten about the promise or the dream. You can say to God, God, you had this word. I believe that you spoke to me. And now I'm in the pit. Now I'm a slave in Egypt. Now the storm has come. So clearly you have forgotten about your promise. Or you have taken it back. That's how we think. This story really seems to be like an indictment on the justice of God, doesn't it? When we read that, we think, why would this happen to Joseph? Right? Joseph was righteous. He was the upright one. He was favored by God. God's promise was on him. Joseph probably thought, okay, I've had this dream that my brothers are going to bow down to me. God's up to something. So clearly it'll just be a matter of two days and then that's going to happen. It's going to be super easy and smooth sailing from here on out. He had no idea what was going to come. But we think, why would God do that to someone who was righteous? Have you ever been there? If you've been in a pit, you've been there. God, why are you doing this to me? I'm trying to live for you. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to do the right thing. Joseph would have thought, this should happen to one of my brothers. We would read that and we think, this should happen to one of the unrighteous brothers who throw the brother in the pit and then eat a meal beside him, who tell a lie to their father saying that Joseph has been killed and let him believe that for years. If God is just, one of the crummy brothers should be in the pit. All of them should be in there. Why do the righteous suffer? Clearly, this is a problem with God's justice, or his power, or his love, or something. There's a problem somewhere. We believe that God is sovereign and powerful, so suffering should come to those who are guilty. That's just how our mind works. If you're guilty, then we understand how suffering should come. But the truth is this, and this is a hard truth, especially if you're in a pit. God allows suffering. God is just, and he loves us, and is with us, and will allow us to go through times of suffering. And we have to get this. Again, it's that verse that Christy read last week that we've already talked about today, the verse that sums up this whole story so well, found in Romans 8.28. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In suffering, in the pit, in the slavery, in the storm, in the sickness, in the marriage falling apart, we know that God is at work some things happen to you that is not God's perfect will. And I want it's, to, it's a hard balance to find because there are evil things, there are evil people, there are things that happen, but God is at work. God can redeem it. God didn't send the car accident. God didn't send the disease, but he can work through it. There's nothing that's going to stop the plan of God in your life. Even when you can't see it, he's working. So don't give up when you're in the pit. God is at work. God is at work for your good. Teenagers, you might be going through a storm right now, know that God is at work for your good, for your good and his glory. Don't give up on it. Don't give up on it. No matter what's been done to you or the decisions you've made, don't give up on it. There are things being accomplished in you and through you right now. And man, are we stubborn. We can, Right? God's probably up there like, really, This is still the same lesson? Like, We've been trying to get through, it's like a level in a video game, you just can't get past, right? Like, really? Come on, let's learn this lesson so that we can move on to the next thing. But we're not going where I need you to go until we learn this lesson, because what God is teaching you right now is formative for what he wants to accomplish in you. We are stubborn, and we take a long time to learn the lesson that God is trying to teach us. But God knows that sometimes suffering is exactly where we need to be to learn that lesson. And it's a good thing and it's hard, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing, and that's annoying, that that's a good thing. But it might not, be. it's not a dead end, but rather the providence of God where you're at, just saying God is working and moving. God is preparing you in the pit. All Joseph sees is the pit. He doesn't know how his story is going to play out. We read ahead, and we know how his story is going to play out. The day that's coming when his brothers are going to bow down before him and you know, not to have a spoiler alert, but maybe you know the story and keep coming the next few weeks. This story is really an amazing story. All Joseph sees in that moment is the pit and the slavery. He doesn't know how it's going to play out. He has no idea what God has him for, for him to do. And that's the same for you. You have no idea what God has for you to do. Whatever season you're in, recognize God is at work for my good. I want to learn what I need to learn and keep moving forward and not give up on the dream that God has. So finally, now, we're in verse 39. I'm just going to read a couple verses at the start of verse 30, or chapter 39. Sorry, Genesis chapter 39. This is where our story picks up. I'm going to read verse 1 through 4. Sorry, I guess my notes are off from what I wrote in my Bible. It might be more than that. We'll find out. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Here's what I want you to get. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Like what? He's a slave. No, the Lord was with him so that he prospered. The Lord was with him so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From time to time, do it keep going? Oh, no, we'll stop there. Man, sorry, i I got wrong things written down here. We're going to stop right there. He put him in charge of everything he owned. You can see God working. But the best part was what I had underlined there. God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. You're going to read this a couple more times in the chapters to come up because you might think, yay, everything's smooth sailing now for Joseph. He did it. No, there's more stuff coming, okay? There's more highs and lows that are coming. But every time, and you, I have it underlined in my Bible, every time it says this, I underlined it, and God was with him. And God was with him in jail. And God was with him in slavery. And God was with him and caused him to prosper. Every time Joseph faced hardship, it said God was with Joseph and caused him to prosper. Every time we are in a season where we feel like we're in a pit, we can know the promise of God. God is with you and can cause you to prosper if you trust him, if you trust that he is at work. Now, this was not just saying that God was there watching, like, oh, there's Joseph. Let's wait and see what he does. The word used for God being with Joseph means it's stronger than that. It's dwelling. It is an advocate. It is a support. It's I'm with you in this. I'm not just here, but I am with you. I am looking out for you. I am here as an advocate or a support. There is something wonderful that happens. And if you've been through a difficult time, you know this, that when someone comes alongside of you and says, I got you, I'm with you. It could be a long day waiting for a doctor's report in a hospital room, and you have a trusted friend who's there, and they don't need to talk all the time, but you know that they are with you, and they're just sitting with you, and they're saying, I got you in this. I'm here for you. I am with you. This is what God is to us in the pit. Some of our lowest days in our marriage have involved hospitals and our kids. We've had some low days in hospitals with our kids, facing dire circumstances. And I can remember how meaningful it was just to have somebody come alongside of us and say, I'm with you. I'm with you. There was times where people would come uh, when Charlie, as a really young baby, was in the hospital for months and months and months. There was times where friends would just come and they'd just sit with us. I'm here. They were with There was just something that would lift our countenance, lift our soul. Again, they didn't have all the solutions, but they were with us. And each time in a hospital with one of our kids, there was also a time where maybe it was a doctor or a social worker, someone who was almost like an advocate for us, who came in and said, okay, I got this. Here's what's going to happen now, and here's what we can do here. And they just had a way of just like, oh, okay, somebody who knows what they're doing is here and they're helping us. There with us. Have you ever been there? How much does that just take the pressure off? How much is that a reassuring feeling that makes us feel like we weren't alone? They knew what to do and they were going to walk with us through this whole process. This is God. This is God with you. This is the amazing story of God coming to earth, his presence being here with us. When you're in a pit, recognize God is with you. He's with you. Say we got this, we're working on this, we're going to get through this, here's what we're going to do next. I got this. I got you. I'm with you. He's with you. When you feel like the dream is dead, when you've messed up your life and you're all alone, God is with you. He is at work. We've got this. We're going to move forward here. This plan got derailed over here. We're going to find another way. I love the idea, and I've heard it described as this. There's no plan B with God there's no plan B. It's not like God said, okay, here was my hope for your life, but you went and messed it all up, so now we're just gonna go the consolation prize instead. I see it like a river. There's a river that's flowing, and you try to block it. What happens to that river? It just finds another way. It just keeps flowing. You say, well, we're gonna get there, we're gonna go this way instead. And you know what that river does, too? It adds nourishment and life wherever it goes. The river gets blocked over here, so it's just going to flow over here, and all of a sudden along that river grows new vegetation and life. This is what God does. This is not a plan B. This is just God saying, okay, we're going to go this way, and in the meantime, there's going to be life. In the meantime, you can prosper. In the meantime, you can be a blessing to those around us because we're just going to go this way. This is how God works. There's no plan B. God is at work. So for all of us, when we're in the midst of a pit, or a slavery, or a storm, or whatever it is, like the story of Joseph. We just have to recognize, what choice do we have? What choice do we have? Here we are. What choice do I have? We can turn our backs on God, or we can trust God. We can turn our backs and say, God, you've forgotten about me. I'm out. God, I know you gave a dream in my heart, but I didn't know it would involve this sacrifice or this painful circumstance, so I am out. Or we can trust God and say, God, I know you're at work. I know you have a plan that is for my good. And in the meantime, where you direct me, I'm going to go. And if it's difficult, I'm going to go there and I'm going to prosper. I'm going to be a blessing. I'm going to add life wherever I go because I know that you're with me and I know that you're guiding me in a way that I don't have no idea where we're going, but I know that it's good. Amen? I know that it's good. So that's our choice today, to stick with God or to turn our back. But you've got to know, just like Joseph did, and you're going to see this again next week, In the pit, in the slavery, in the prison, when he's accused, when he's rejected, he always adds life. He's a blessing in the prison cell. He's a blessing like we read today when he's a servant in Potiphar's house. He's a blessing. It says that Potiphar's house prospered because of Joseph. We can do that in the, middle of a, in the middle of a storm. We can add life. We can flourish. We can trust God. We can worship him. We can express our thanks and his faithfulness. So don't give up today. That's the message of the pit. That's the message of our story today. Don't give up. You might have messed everything up in your life, but nothing can stop what God wants to do in your life. If we're willing, if we say, God, I want you to move and direct my life, nothing can stop it. It's like that river that just keeps finding a new way, keeps adding beauty wherever it goes, keeps flourishing, keeps bringing life, trusting that God is orchestrating your steps. Amen? This is what God wants to do in you. Let's close in prayer today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in our life. It's not just a God up in heaven looking down, waiting for us to mess up so you can accuse us. That's not who you are. You are the God who is with us, an advocate, a support, someone who is walking with us in every season, good and bad. You know where we're going. You know the plan that you have for us, and it is good. And even when we can't see it as good, we trust you. So I'm praying today for those who are in the midst of a time where they have given up, they think they have messed everything up, that they think the dream that you have for their life is gone. Maybe it's a decision they made, or maybe it's a decision that somebody else made and betrayed them and hurt them. But right now, today, God, we want it to be a marking moment where we say, No, we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. We're not going to give up. We're not going to quit. We're not going to be discouraged, but we are going to trust you. We're going to trust you in the storm, in the pit. We're going to trust you in the sickness. We're going to trust you in the relationship that's falling apart. We are going to trust you. We are going to do what we can to honor you. We're going to take healthy steps. We're going to live for your glory. We're going to do the things we can to pursue righteousness in our heart. And we're going to trust you with the rest. We're going to do what we can, and we're going to trust you with the rest. So, Lord, for every circumstance, and if that's you today, I want you to maybe even just lift up a hand to God and just say, God, here's a circumstance. I want to give it to you. I'm giving it to you. I'm trusting you. Here's a spot where I thought the dream is over, the dream has died. I am giving it to you, and I'm trusting you. You are with me. You are working. You are moving in ways that I cannot see. But I know that you are good, and so I trust you. So I give it to you. Lord, I just pray for every heart here that you would just start a new work, that you would rekindle the fire, that you would rekindle that dream, that call that you have on our life. Maybe some people have kept you at a distance for so long. I recognize maybe there's people here today you've never once given your life to God. That you've never received the salvation of God and the mercy of God. I would not want you to go through an opportunity like this or a service like this and for me to not give you that opportunity. If you want to give your life to Jesus... Maybe just put up a hand and say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I receive your forgiveness. All you have to do is acknowledge that he is your savior, that you are a sinner, and that you need a savior, and that he died and rose for you. If you'll do that in your heart, and you'll proclaim it with your mouth, then you're a new Christian. Then you are a new creation. Then you have the plans of God working for your good. It's all good. So if you are that person today, I just want to encourage you, take that step. Take that step. So, Lord, we commit this time to you. We commit our lives to you. Every detail in our families, at school, at work, relationships, marriages. We just commit it to you. We trust you. We trust you. I pray that you would do a redeeming work in every circumstance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.